All right, well, um, worship, like I said, on the Lord's Day is, I do believe, and I don't have time to make the case for it, but if you've been coming to church, and especially if you've been coming to Sunday school for some time, you know this already, worship on the Lord's Day is the most important thing that a Christian does. It's the fountainhead. And um, we want our worship to be pure and acceptable and joyful and biblical. Amen? All of this. We want all of this. Um, But what if our worship makes no difference in the world? What if it makes no difference on Monday through Saturday? I mean, we get hyped. We get our worship on. You know, we jump and, and shout. But what if when we come down, we don't do anything? then what good is it? I mean, God has an agenda in this world. And it's not just that he would be worshiped. That's the center of it. That's the central point. Everything we do is to flow from worship. But what if, and I think the American church is very much in this situation, what if we don't do anything? What if we don't make a difference in the world? Just as a, a thought experiment... What if everyone in Acadiana went to church today right, and started going to church every Sunday? All the churches were filled to the brim, and they even had to you know, rent tent space to pack in everybody. We'd have to do a lot of uh, building programs, we, but maybe we could go meet in the, uh, the Coliseum, you know? And um, all the Christians in Acadiana filled up all the churches and they did it for, for a couple years, every Sunday, bang, in worship. Would Acadiana change? You think? I don't think so. I don't think. I don't think it would change too much. I really don't. Well, look, I'm saying with the church in America, let's just go beyond Acadiana. If all the, Christian, if all the humans in America filled up all the churches in America... And we got our worship on on Sunday mornings. And we sang and we prayed and we uh, made the decisions and we walked the aisles and we had the coffee bars and the, uh, you know, the life coaching TED Talks. Would anything change in America? Would they come out the next day and be like, you know what? All of these civil leaders got to go. We're following Jesus' rules now. Would that happen? You know? We're shutting down Obergefell. We're shutting down um, all of these things. Everything is changing. We're going to have a just economic system. Art is going to be Christian again. The radio stations are all banned, right? Um, Boom, just like that if everyone went to church. You know, there'd still be sin and stuff, but I mean, what would change? I honestly don't think much would change. That's how bad I think the situation is in America. I don't think much would change. I don't think the American church, by and large, has a vision for what the church, what the kingdom is supposed to be doing Monday through Saturday. When you talk to an average Christian and you talk about Christian service, they really do, in their brains, think volunteering in the nursery on Sundays. That is service, of course, but that's not your main calling. God has a plan for this earth. He has a mission. He has an agenda. Jesus is not satisfied with the state of this earth. And the church should be on Sundays worshiping uh, and equipping so that the saints go out to do that job, to do that job. 
every single day, every single second of every single day. Um, that's what this series is about. It's, a, it's about um, how to change the world, why the church should be, and how the church should be changing the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. And um, what we're talking about mostly is called the doctrine of vocation or the dominion mandate, also called the cultural mandate. And um, it's from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let's look at it. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. All right, let's see that right there. It's Genesis chapter 1. Big, this is a big issue. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let man have dominion. What should we be doing? It's, man was created and the first thing that God said is let us make man like us and let them have dominion. It didn't, it didn't say let them go to church on Sunday mornings and experience a worship and have a worship experience. Although we obviously going to church is the most important thing, like I said. It says there's a purpose for man on this earth and he is to have dominion. That's what you're supposed to be doing every day, except on Sunday. The Lord's day is a day of rest. Right? Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the heavens, so all the way down in the bottom of the sea, all the way up into the heavens, and over all the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let them have dominion. From other passages, we could see that we're to have dominion over the stars, over the sun, the moon, the atmosphere, everything. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be ruling this earth, subduing it, Bringing it to its full potential. Amen? Is this new to y'all? Or this is common sense. Y'all know this. I'm preaching to the choir here this morning. But it's right here. You say, Pastor Brandon, but that's in the Old Testament. So a verse you'll never find in the Bible. That's in the Old Testament. You know, a phrase Paul never stated. In fact, you will nowhere in the entire Bible even find the concept of an Old Testament and a New Testament. It's the Bible. The idea of just having one part and then another part as two parts is not in the Bible. That's a satanic heresy, right? Um, it's the Bible. In reality, the first Bible was the, um, several tablets from Genesis. That was the Bible. Right? written down. Of course, they had the, the law of God written there on their hearts. They had the moral law. They had oral tradition, but they had the tablets in uh, Genesis. You can see them when you read them. And this was the generations of Enoch, and this was the generations of Esau. Then later, when he called them out of Exodus, they got a New Testament. It was the books of Moses with the law, and most certainly Joshua right there at the end. That was the Bible. Then when he brought in the Davidic covenant, he gave them more. He gave them the kings and the histories, and he gave them more epistles, prophets writing epistles. And that was another testament. A testament is a written down document referring to that particular covenant that he established with David. Then when he established the new covenant, they got more prophets writing, more histories, and they very much parallel the other ones. 
And that was another testament. And then at the end of that one, because in these last days, he has uh, revealed um, himself through his son, the ultimate revelation, the testaments are sealed. And they all come together in, in one Bible, building like a, a flower, blossoming, growing, 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 and blossoming. So when we open up Genesis 1, we're not reading some other Bible. We're reading the Bible, the Bible. We're not reading some other section of the Bible. We're reading the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 gives us our purpose over this world, at least part of it. Now, a lot is implied here that will be later fleshed out in the rest of the Bible. But if you want to know your purpose in life, it's this right here. It's your purpose. And let them have dominion, right, over the earth, Now, immediately they begin to exercise dominion. They domesticated animals. Who was the first shepherd that we know of? Y'all know? Abel. Abel, that's right. Of course, learned it from his mom and dad, I'm sure. And who was the first farmer exercising dominion over the plants? That was Cain, right? And we learn in, in, in a few verses, there's people exercising dominion over metal and ore and music, and art, and war. All of that begins right in the very beginning, right? Uh, now, today we specialize a lot more, you know, we, we, because things have advanced and dominion has uh, been accomplished to a large degree, we have much more specializations. You know, we specialize in finance or engine mechanics, something like that. So you specialize, but it's still your purpose in life. It's your calling to exercise dominion over the earth, now, now that I've said everything I've said so far, do you think the modern evangelical church is aware of this mission? Do they teach and worship as if they're aware of this? No, they're not aware of it. We have lost our primary mandate. And we wonder why youth in the church suffer from a lack of meaning and purpose, don't know what to do with their lives, and just fall into the ruts of the world. Because this has been lost. This tool has been, this calling, I should say, has been lost. <clears throat> now, we have a lot to talk about. We've got a big series to talk about on this. Um, but uh, today I want to talk about the tools of dominion. And this is very, this is very interesting to me. And, and I'm trying not to go off on rabbit trails because it's very interesting to me. Everything I say, I have a rabbit trail in my mind, and I don't rehearse these classes. Like, I try to work through my sermons, and the main point of doing that is to not go on rabbit trails, to discipline myself, to stay on point. But I don't rehearse these, and so I'm tempted. I just, went, I just did a rabbit trail on rabbit trails, but... <laughs> Here's what I want to focus on, the tools of dominion. I can't teach... The whole series in one class, but we're going to start and we're going to work our way through this. The first tool of dominion is right here in the passage. Can you see what it is? Can you pull it out? What has God given us that we might fulfill our mandate? Well, he's given us authority. He, he says, let them. So it is a bestowed authority. That's good. That's good. I wasn't going to point that out, but that's definitely there. His image. His image is, I would say, the primary tool, and, and that might be a simplistic word for, to, for describing that, but the primary tool that God has given us um, to exercise our dominion mandate. 
to fulfill what he has called man to do on earth. Uh, And so let's think about all the various ways in which we are created like God that help us to do this calling, all right? The first one is, and you might not think about this right out of the way, is that he has created us covenantal. We are covenantal in our, in our DNA, in our spirit, in our minds. We are covenantal. Why are we covenantal? Because God is covenantal. Three in one. He is covenantal. The members of the Trinity are in covenant with one another and with us. We think covenantal. We feel covenantal. We are covenantal. Of course, this has been lost in modern evangelicalism. We've lost this concept completely. You see, today, and and you can think about this in your own heart, we are born thinking, it's just the air we breathe, that we are all, um, like you've heard this metaphor from other teachers, but it's like we're a sack of BBs, right? A sack of marbles, God's little sack of marbles, and we're all just individual little BBs, right? Um, Or think of it, we think of ourselves as leaves on Jesus. Jesus is a a trunk, he's like a totem pole, and we are all attached to Jesus like little leaves on the totem pole. Are there any trees that grow like that? I can't think of any. But we have in our mind, Jesus is a telephone pole, and each of us is connected to him individually, like individual leaves. This is how we think because we have secular worldviews, Okay. Um, but in actuality, each and every one of us as individuals are broken into various structures like molecular bonds. You understand? Like your body is not made up of just individual molecules uh, or individual atoms. I'm not a science teacher, but these atoms come together and these molecules, you know, help me out here, come together and they make bonds. You're actually made up of structure, more like branches on a tree. That's why Jesus says that you are a branch in him. You are not just a leaf in him. And of course, each and every one of us as branches in Christ, if we continue to bear fruit, then we are cultivated and nourished. But if we do not bear fruit, then we are pruned. That's right. Mankind really is um, like a tree, Covenantally connected with branches and unfruitful branches are pruned. It's very organic and there's structure to it. It's not, we're not a sack of BBs as individuals. We relate to each other covenantally. So there's families, there's churches, there's um, businesses, there's HOAs, there's clubs, right? All of these covenants, all of these covenants, there's nations, right? Like the United States of America. There's states, there's towns, incorporated, non-incorporated. These are how humanity is. And God made us this way because it is essential for our dominion. Each of these covenantal structures that we find ourselves in have hierarchies that he has placed in them. Right? In some sense, at least as the way we, um, we approach God the Father, there is a hierarchy. Now, there's not a hierarchy essentially, I don't believe, Um, But as far as creation order and and the salvation of us, there's the Father, right? 
And there's the Son and the Spirit. The Father sends the Son and the Son sends the Spirit. There is a covenant. There is a hierarchy. And he creates us in covenantal structures with hierarchies in these structures. So let's just think your average um, high school, senior in high girl. She's a senior in high school. What covenantal structures is she in? She's in her family. Is there a hierarchy? Her mom and her dad. Her dad, father is the head of that household. Is she in a school, perhaps? Right? Is she in a church? Is she in a town, a state, a nation? So she is a, uh, she's in a church. She's a Christian. She's in the United States of America. She's an American. She is, um, uh, I don't know, she, let's say she's in Christchurch. So she's a Christchurcher. Um, she, her last name is Boudreaux, so she's a Boudreaux. She's from Cecilia, so she's from Cecilia, right? <laughs> All of these structures make up her, her world. Now, would we say, and she's white? I mean, she happens to be white, but is that a covenantal structure? It's not. Isn't that something? Isn't, isn't it true that the world would emphasize that about her? Because the world is trying to atomize us, to pull apart American, Christchurcher, Cecilia, Boudreaux, pull all of them together to make her an individual BB so that she would be in one covenant called the state, right? That is a different, that's a Marxist worldview. It's a different way of thinking. It's a different cosmology even. We have that. I promise you, we have it. That's why our seniors graduate, the girls, and they think they can just go off and be independent, and they, and they try to leave all those covenantal structures. And, and, they, and the idea that their father would, would still have authority over them just blows their mind. How dare you? Because she's had these covenantal structures deconstructed her entire life. Okay? One of our main goals at Christchurch is, is honestly just to reconstruct this covenantal way of thinking. Because it is necessary to fulfill our purpose. We cannot fulfill the dominion mandate as greased BBs, as individuals. We have, to, we have to have molecular structure. We have to have um, organizations, right? Corporations, churches, nations, families with hierarchies to accomplish this particular mission. And of course, the world knows this too. That's why the state has branches and has hierarchy. They understand it's necessary in, on planet Earth to, be, to, to have that in order to be productive and efficient. That's the kingdom of Satan, and they have a, a different structure. It's not the same as the kingdom of heaven, okay? <clears throat> you can't, as an individual, exercise dominion even over one bird, Okay? None of us could have taken a jungle fowl from 6,000 years ago and turned it into a chicken that lays an egg every single day by ourselves. You have to have structure. You have to have um, covenant. And of course, God is covenantal. And each covenant has a hierarchy, and that is absolutely essential. And here, honestly, this, I do believe that this is the baptism debate, really. I'm, I'm giving you first principles as it pertains to baptism You see, I believe the way God has structured the world is that when you are born, he sovereignly administrates which which branches you're going to be born in. You see what I'm saying? You are born a Neely. Did I have a choice in that? 
No, he sovereignly put me in and made me a Neely. Can I abandon my covenant and forsake my family and my family name? Well, I sure could, but I'm still a Neely. But even though I could reject it, right? Was I born an American? Yes. Was that my choice? No, God put me in that covenantal structure. And he also born me, birthed me in a Christian home. I didn't choose that. I was born into the church. So I was born not regenerated necessarily. That's an invisible thing. We have no idea when or how or where that takes place. We know, we know it's a concept. Um, but I was born a Neely. I was born into the church and I was born an American. And I was born a Louisianian, right? The modern evangelical mind over the last couple of hundred years has deconstructed, I believe, that the idea that you were born into that church covenant. They believe you're born into all the earth covenants. Now think with me, think with me. You're born into all the earth covenants. But God is actually forming a new spiritual structure that you were born again into. You see how that then creates like a spiritual realm and then the earth. And you see how that's a problem for dominion. I really do believe that's a problem for dominion. Because God's agenda is not to create some spiritual superstructure, right? Uh, where, where it's all the spiritual true Christians, but his goal is to exercise dominion over the earth, and that includes every human born from Adam, right? Now, the, those born in Adam are going to fail, and they will not inherit because of Adam's covenant with Satan, um, and it is necessary to be united to Christ to, to finally inherit, and all those who are not united to Christ are pruned away, but I still think he is creating a, a structure like that. He's birthing people into these covenant structures, and it is necessary that we uh, acknowledge that in order to fulfill our purpose here on earth over every single thing. I know that was a lot, but maybe, maybe, maybe it helped a few of you connect some dots. That's why you come to Sunday school. I would never say that on a, during my sermon because too many people would be confused. But here's where I don't mind confusing you. And maybe I'm confused. I don't know. <laughs> Another thing, though, here we see is that he created the male and female and that it, that it was necessary for them to be fruitful and to multiply to fulfill this mission. Adam and Eve couldn't do this by themselves, could they? It's going to take a whole lot of babies. This is why we believe having lots of babies is ideal. If you can, of course, the Bible never says what is lots, and we're not trying to judge people. It's not about that. It's about our purpose in life. You understand what I'm saying? And the more babies, the better. Of course, it's in God's timing. It's not our timing. It's not by the will of man, but it's by, the, by man's work and the power of the Spirit. And so I'm not saying that this is a mark of righteousness, but I'm saying we should want to have, we should want to be fruitful and we should want to multiply so that we can, our generations can, and all those Neelys that are born in that covenantal structure can better fulfill their mandate. See how this is, it's all connected. This isn't just a hobby horse or a random thing that Pastor Brandon talks about, having lots of kids. It's because I know about the dominion mandate, and the, it's necessary to be fruitful and multiply to fulfill your purpose in life and to fulfill dominion. Brandon alone can only exercise so much dominion over a small little area, but if I can uh, make babies that make babies that make babies that make babies, the Neely name... That covenantal structure, that family structure can do a lot of good for the kingdom of heaven, right? 
Of course, there's a lot more to say about that, but that's, I just wanted to show you that God made us capable of multiplying, which was necessary to fulfill this, covenant, this uh, purpose. So what are the two things so far? The big picture, he made us in his image. And how are we like him? Well, we're covenantal and we're able to multiply. Make sense? Of course, he creates out of nothing and we create through the covenant of marriage. All right. <clears throat> Now, uh, and, and of course, as I said, and I'll say one more time, he places us in these covenantal structures with their hierarchies so that we can fulfill this mandate. If you're going to be successful in exercising dominion and, and fulfilling your purpose, you have to be in a church that has a hierarchy and you have to be submitted to that church and that hierarchy. You have to be in a family with that hierarchy, a household. You need to be in a, a town, you need to be in a, a state, and hopefully they're, they're fulfilling their mandate as well. Of course, we know they're not right now, so... Um, Feminism, what does feminism fight for? It fights for what they think of as equality, all right? Of course, the the, uh, concept of equality comes from Jesus. Equality under the uh, the rule of law, equality uh, in that we are all equally created in the image of God. He made them male and female, both equal in the image of God. But they would deconstruct the nature of woman and man to androgenize them, and deconstruct the roles, deconstruct the hierarchies, especially in the covenantal structure of the family, because at the end of the day, it is a satanic anti-dominion religion. It is a tool of Satan to restructure mankind in his covenantal structures so that he might have dominion. Is that too, am I going, you got it? Okay. So feminism is, and it's so funny how feminists, they're like, girl power, girls can be just like men. Like, how is that pro-girl? I don't understand. How is it pro-woman to say they can beat up people too? How is that? I'm pro-woman. They can do a man job just like a man. Well, that's not pro-woman. That's like pro-butch or something. I don't know. Like, it's the, their vision of society is an androgynous, flatlined, um, perverted world. And it's anti-dominion. What we, want, what we want to do is to realize he made us male and female different in our natures and, of course, in our roles and in the hierarchies and the covenants that he puts us in sovereignly at our birth. He does this so that we can fulfill our mandate. You need those tools to be able to do this. We need women and men to be women and men in covenants with hierarchies in order to fulfill our purpose, right? All right, good. So feminism is anti-dominion, it's anti-woman, it truly is toxic and misogynistic. <clears throat> now, the, another thing we see here, um, and, we, and I'm not gonna read the whole book of Genesis, you, you know this well enough to know that right out of the gate, Adam is speaking. He has some sort of, he has a language. Obviously, there's talk about what that language was, nobody has any idea, but there's language. Does God have language? Yes. We have language because God has language. Why did he give us language? That we can have dominion so that we can fulfill our purpose. Right. That's right. So when you send your kids to a grammar school, which is technically what we are up until about sixth grade, what would be classically called a grammar school, and they're learning grammar, they're learning the grammar of all the subjects, Um, When they are sitting in a a proper grammar class, learning punctuation and subjects and verbs and predicate nominatives and intransitive verbs and et cetera, et cetera, you need to tell your child, you do not be bored in grammar. 
God has given you language as a tool for, to fulfill your purpose. Grammar class is where we sharpen that tool, where we sharpen that hone. God has given you the sword of language. And every day in grammar class, you're honing that blade so that when you are sent out um, to build your own household, perhaps to start your own business, to, to rule and exercise dominion over your particularly allotted calling, you will have a sharp tool of language so that you can exercise dominion for King Jesus well. When we study Greek, composition, rhetoric, all of the above, it is sharpening the tools that God has given us for dominion. When you join a church, you should be becoming more verbally gifted and intelligent. You should be, you should be able to read better, write better, speak better, and of course, humans think in language, so think better as well. And I do think each and every one of you would say that that is precisely what has happened to you since becoming a Christian and since intentionally um, joining a church and plugging in and taking part in the means of grace. There are those who come to a church for years and they do not grow in verbal intelligence or verbal skill. Something is broken. I promise either the church broken or they're broken. Something's broken. We should be uh, getting equipped by the pastors especially, but also by our parents and teachers, etc., um, to accomplish every good work. And part of that is equipping you to think right and speak right so that you can exercise dominion unto the Lord better. Amen? Another one is reasoning. Reasoning. God reasons, man reasons. The law of non-contradiction. Does anyone know what that is? You want to give us the, the law of non-contradiction. Um, a statement cannot be both true and false at the same place and in the same time. Did I, it's been a couple of years since I tried to quote it. So I cannot say that this carpet is, what color is that? It's a question. Is, <laughs> Brother Henry, you would know. You would, maroon. All right. I cannot say this is maroon and non-maroon. That is a contradiction. All right. I cannot say that is a boy and a non-boy. That is a contradiction, all right? The law of non-contradiction, the law of identity, all the laws of thought, all the laws that govern by God the invisible realm of reason are in men. We have them in our, in our hearts. We have them in our minds. Sin, of course, has, has um, devolved our thinking and made us dumber. Sin, in fact, will, will turn you into a fallacy machine, Okay, a problem. The devil is the father of lies, and that's another way of saying he's the father of fallacies, because fallacies are just all the many types of ways people lie, all right? <laughs> really. And, uh, you know, and as a pastor, I know when the, when the truth is being preached, I know when someone, their sin and their pride is blinding them from the truth because they respond to me with fallacies. Now, of course, as a, uh, trying to be a patient pastor, I don't blister them on the spot, uh, <laughs> But I hear it, though, and I, and I know and I hear the stories and, I, and the narratives and stuff as people resist the truth in their pride or their arrogance, and it's fallacies, 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 fallacies. It's lies, 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 lies. We know we have to be able to think straight to receive the truth and to process the truth and apply the truth properly. That's why anyone who comes to a Bible-believing church that is equipping people to exercise the dominion mandate and to do it for the kingdom of heaven, they're going to grow in their reasoning capabilities. 
They're going to be able to notice contradictions, faulty logic, faulty evidence, faulty premises. They're going to become less like Satan, the liar, the father of fallacies, and more like God, who is, who is logic and is where logic comes from. Right. Make sense? People who have, I do think, and that's what I said at the very beginning, if all the Americans went into all the churches, I don't know how much better we'd come out thinking on Monday morning or speaking, right? Or honed for this mandate. I think we would come out, you know, inspired perhaps for something, right? To, for institutional development maybe, I don't know, but um, to, to evangelize individual BBs and to try to get them into the seats as audience members on Sunday morning. But this whole, this mandate, it's not there. They would not be equipped for this. Uh, I don't think the world would change much. Okay. Another tool we see, am I going too fast or is this fine? All right, we have, we have about seven, ten more minutes. Anybody have any questions? Yeah, Jordan? I can already think of an objection to that last point you made. Why do you think people might say that thinking that rational thought is important is non-spiritual? Have you ever, like, come... Yeah, there are many faulty uh, philosophies that come from the Greeks, especially, at least for us. You know, that the, the earth is dirty, yucky, um, non-spiritual. That to really be tr- spiritual, you have to um, vacate your mind. Right? It's Eastern mysticism. Vacate all desires, except the desire to vacate all desires. Um, you, have to, you have to become a blank slate, get rid of the, the mind, and just focus on the soul. These are Greco philosophies that are in people's hearts in America. We as Christians have to tear down those arguments. We have to deconstruct that worldview and help them build up a godly framework in their minds. We, like, we can't exercise dominion. We can't take back this country. We can't um, progress as Christians if we can't, get our, if we can't think straight. Right? If everything is, if, if our view of ourself and our mission in the world is false and satanic. All right, so reasoning. Part of a church's discipleship ministries must be to help people think God's thoughts after him, to think clearly, to think truthfully, and to not think in fallacies and in lies and in, in distortions. All right? Um, Another one we see here is, uh, we know about, is the law. Adam had the law on his heart. It wasn't written down by Moses or by God with Moses on the tablets at the top of Mount Sinai yet. That would happen later. But Adam had that law. He knew it. He was very smart. Okay? He knew there's no murdering. We, of course, we see when Cain murders Abel, that's a sin because you're not allowed to murder. Even before it was written down on stone, they knew that. It was written, remember in the, it says, remember the Sabbath. It doesn't say start following the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. And you really could say, remember, you're only allowed to worship me. Or remember, you don't do this. Remember, you don't murder. You don't commit adultery. Remember all of these things. He was just finally putting it on stone because he was establishing a, a, a million person nation and it needed to be published eventually to the whole world. Oral just wasn't going to cut it anymore. Too many humans out there. All right. 
So he gives us that law, and that law is a tool for us to exercise dominion. Or if your family is busted up, you have some tools. So far, what do you have? You have covenantal, you're, you're covenantal. There's hierarchy. You got to get that hierarchy in your, in your marriage right. There is thinking. You got to learn to think straight. And you have to be able to speak clearly, right? These are all tools you are given to exercise dominion over your household. You understand what I'm saying? And he gives you the law. And so you begin to follow that law in your household. And I promise you, by his grace, if you do these things in faith, you will begin to subdue your marriage, your household. Your household may be a jungle when you begin, but when you're working your way through it, it will become a garden, which is the model for dominion. That's why God gives us the model of the garden, and then the rest of the world has to be subdued. Like this, Adam. Do this. But what does it look like like this? He's a great teacher. He models it. He speaks it. This is how you do it. You turn the world into a fruitful, productive garden. And of course, that evolves as he exercises more and more dominion. It'd be hard for God to show them like some sort of, you know, space station on the moon, right? (laughs) You got to start, you know, start somewhere. So he gives us the law. Um, And we, as, as Christians, because we know our purpose in life, we should be jealous for his law. We should, not, we should be upset when people try to add to it or when they try to take away from it. Not as if we're perfectionists and we're straining at gnats all the time. We've got to understand when someone's heading in the right direction, mostly what you want to do is watch. You know what I mean? The, a sheep is, if, when you're herding sheep and you want them to go into that gate over there, as long as they're generally going that way, chill out. You know, you chill out. You know, like, you just took a step to the left. You know? No, just kind of give a broad, you know, slowly heading in that direction, right? So not, we're not nitpickers when I say the law. I'm just saying the law is our guide that shows us how to exercise dominion, to subdue all the various aspects of our work. You want to do, do this in your business? You better get into the Bible or talk to somebody that knows the Bible to learn the laws, the financial laws that are in the Bible so that you can apply them to your business. Or else you stand the risk of having a really terrible business, right? And of course, all these business people who are successful, it's because by God's grace, they, they have some of these laws in their mind and they follow them to a T. But very oftentimes, they blow their businesses up eventually on one law that they didn't keep, all right? We got a lot to learn on that. But that's a tool of dominion. Another one is ambition, ambition. That's right, ambition for the kingdom, When someone feels eager to uh, advance the claims of Christ over this world, which is another way of saying exercise dominion, we should encourage that. We should applaud that. We should not shame it. Uh, The American church, by and large, I think, will shame you for kingdom ambition. They really will. You will be shamed for it. Um, But we should be cultivating it. From our childhood... We should encourage our kids to to build forts, to cook meals, to work hard, right? The reason why video games are so fun, you understand, is because they're exercising dominion. They're literally creating worlds on the screen. Minecraft, one of the most, most famous games of all times, they're creating a world. 
and they're moving the blocks and the ore and the trees. The, the person who developed Minecraft it just put the Dominion mandate in a simple bit form, in digital form. And it's addictive because it's our purpose, but it's especially fun because there's no risk. You know, you die, you get another life, right? And it's not hard. You don't have to spend 20 years learning grammar, right? You can just take that block, make it gold, bling, right? It, it's, but God didn't build the world that way. He wants us to, to work hard to do it. And of course, there's a curse on it. So we're doing the right things, but thorns keep coming up, but we keep at it. But there's also his spirit and his gospel, which says as far as the curse might be found, we can have this uplifted joy to the world. So we're, we're doing this. We're exercising dominion. We're, we're in the Minecraft world. And there's real risk and we have to work real hard. And we should be ambitious for that. We should want to build institutions. We should want to make money. We should want to build a church. We should want to build a family. We should want to change the nation. We should want to alter laws. We should want to change hearts. And don't let anyone ever shame you for that ambition. The reason they want you to chill out is because you make them feel ashamed for their sloth and their complacency and their consumerism. See, because consumerism is anti-dominion for sure. And that's the number one thing people are doing with their money these days. But you, you say we're, we're advancing the kingdom, right? We're exercising dominion. And don't let anyone shame you into silence on that, right? They're wrong. You're right. Be bold about it and humble. <laughs> Another provision he gives us is the ability to choose. All of this is done. We are in his image. We're not automatons. We're not robots. You get to choose. And now back in the Old Testament, before the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh, they would sometimes throw lots to help them choose in big decisions. We don't do that anymore. The last time they did that was right before the Holy Spirit was poured out. Uh, now we have the Holy Spirit, we have prayer, we have wisdom in order to make right choices. And we make them, and, we, and, and God lets us learn our lessons when we make dumb ones, doesn't he? But we have the ability to choose. I don't mean in free will, nor in the uh, Greek or free will Arminianism way, right? I mean, we have some level of, of, of um, sovereignty under God, we rule. We are kings. We exercise dominion over this earth with the tools that he has given us. And one of them is the ability to decree, to make judgments, and to choose. So rule well, right? You need wisdom. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the Bible. You need the Proverbs. You need the law. You don't get to cast lots. <laughs> you get to read the Proverbs. You get to ask your pastor, pastor or your dad, etc. But you're going to make that decision. That's on you, and you're going, to, you're going to learn your lessons from it, for good or for bad. That's exciting, though. It's like we're down here with a mission, something to sink our teeth into. Isn't this what we need? When, when you are, even, even if you're not a man and you're not like have that sort of man, I'm going to go out and conquer the world because that's how God made men. That's the nature of men. You're a woman. You're like, I got a man who's like that. And I'm going to serve him, and I'm going to help him, and I'm going to come alongside of him, and I'm going to multiply him so that this, this household can exercise dominion for King Jesus. And you have a nature that God has designed for that particular purpose. And he's given you a role and put you in a, in a covenant structure for that very purpose. He's even put you in a church structure as well so you can hear this from your pastor, not just your husband, you know? It's nice to hear this from a lot of people. This is what the Bible is saying. Another provision he gives us, of course, is resources. Light, that's a helpful one. 
We wouldn't do much if we didn't have light, right? And heat and the stars, Jeremiah 31 and chapter 33. Animals, plants, land, a cell phone. Whoo, what a tool of dominion. Do you understand how much mess that even I, ignorant of the powers of this magic, right? Even I, so much mess is able to be subdued with this thing. Miscommunications, subdued, right? Lack of information, subdued. Ignorance, subdued. Just like a wand. It's like a a dominion wand, (laughs) right? Now, Satan gave it to us for evil reasons, but God gave it to us for dominion. This is your dominion wand, and you, you can learn to use this and all technology for this purpose. This is why it's given to us. Along with the less technological things, the things we don't think of, like the breath in your lungs, right? Your hands, your feet, etc. He has given us resources for accomplishing this. He's given us money. He's given us cars, etc. He's also given us, and this is perhaps, this is the most important thing. He's given us Jesus because we can't do it outside of him, right? Outside of him. He is, in, on, he is on the throne and he is exercising dominion. I think that that's what he means when he says, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to exercise my rule over this universe, heaven and earth, to reconcile all things to myself so that you and I can live forever on this fully dominionated world. Don't say dominate. That's a different word. It's not a, it's not a good word. It means something different. It's what Satan does, okay? That's what I think God is doing, Jesus is doing, and we are his Eve. He's our Adam. We are his Eve. He is the new Adam, and we come alongside of him as the bride, working together to accomplish his agenda. You see what I mean? I really think, and I taught on this a few weeks ago with the Laodicean church, Jesus is not in the church because the church is not fulfilling their dominion mandate. They've forgotten about it. They are like the American church. And he's like, guys, you're doing church in there, but you forgot that I am faithful and true, the Alpha and Omega. All those names point to his dominion over this earth and what he's doing in this earth. Y'all forgotten about all of this. You're, doing, you're getting your church on. You got, your, you got the Crosby going, you got the kick drum going, you're jumping, jumping, but when you come back down, you don't do anything. You don't even know what you're doing out there. You're just consumers. You're consumers being deconstructed and placed into covenant, satanic covenantal structures. Like you've, We've got to get this mission because this is Jesus's mission, and he's not satisfied. He's not satisfied, and we shouldn't be satisfied either, and that's why we shouldn't be ashamed of this, right? <clears throat> Now, also, in connection with Jesus is, uh, you know, if we're not worshiping Jesus at the center, then you're only exercising dominion for yourself. You understand what I mean? Your self-ambition, your own, you're building your own little kingdom in the, in the video room, right? One person does that video. Come on, y'all. Y'all don't watch YouTube? <laughs> you don't build your own little kingdom. Jesus is at the center of all that you do. Now, people are going to use fallacies and slander against you because Satan does that, and people work for Satan. So when you say dominion for the kingdom, they're going to say, you're arrogant. You think you, you think you have everything. They're going to slander you for it because that's what the devil does. He's anti-dominion. But you say, no, you must not have heard the adjective in front of, uh, in front of the noun, right? This is 
kingdom dominion. This is dominion for Jesus. See what I mean? Another tool he's given us, I, I gotta just say these quicker, the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory of God is in each and every one of us. If you don't have that, I don't care how well you can speak, how logical your thinking is, you are an empty shell. You are a tomb, a whited sepulcher. You must have the Shekinah glory that created life in your, in your heart, soul, and mind. He's also given us the Sabbath for equipping, for worship, and for rest from this dominion taking. He's given us the Sabbath. Even God doesn't work every day of the week. Amen? He's given us festivals and feasts. Not, I don't, I don't believe the ones in the Old Testament, those find their fulfillment in Christ, but things like that that take on new cultural forms today. He's given us um, prayer and access to the throne room so that we can pray for help and for more resources and for more wisdom and for more right thinking and more truth and more guidance, amen? And do your children have that resource? Can they pray and their prayers are heard by their mediator and high priest, King Jesus, as he intercedes for them in the sanctuary? Are their prayers holy and clean enough that he hears them in there? Yes, because they are in this covenant and they have these covenantal promises, which is why we teach them to pray and to access that. Amen. That's why we teach them all of these things. We also have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We have the sword of the Spirit. Of course, we have the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, all of those. I'm not going to list all of those. Um, We have um, Christian education. This is God giving Adam a Christian education. It's homeschool. They, were, they, they, they did a lot outside. The weather was nice. And uh, he said, this is your purpose in life, right? And look, this is how you do it. This is an apple tree. He did all of this. What an what a awesome homeschool to be in, right? He gave, he gave him a Christian education. Of course, we give our children Christian educations as well, or else we are um, neutering them in their purpose, It is a sin not to give your kids a Christian education. It is a sin to send them to the discipleship programs of Satan. It is a sin to send them to the discipleship programs of Satan. You are stripping them of their purpose in life. No nuance on that one. I'm just going to leave it right there. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right. So last but not least... um, The church is irrelevant in this world in part because we don't know our mission and our tools are rusty. Honestly, our tools are left out in the rain. And if they are sharpened, they're just for our own little kingdoms, our consumeristic kingdoms. The church is neutered because we've deconstructed covenants and hierarchies and we've handed over our resources, in fact, to the world and to Satan thinking in our minds, they're all going to burn. No, no, no. This is not the Titanic, and we're not jumping off on life rafts. We've got a job to do. We've got resources. We've got tools. We have instructions. And if we don't, we will come under judgment, and he will blot out our candlestick. Amen? Amen. This is my, of course, this is my agenda, and uh, it's where I'm leading the church and been leading the church for quite some time. But I'm hoping this series will help all of us Think about it and understand it more clearly. Amen? All right, y'all have a great Sunday.